Amen. Thank you, guys. He is coming. Are you ready for him to come? Many promises we have in the gospel. And I love the promise that one day Jesus will come back. One day he will come as a conquering king to take his people back home. And so I can't wait for that great day. So um, until then, we're going to listen to his word. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. Everyone is a critic. It's a fact. Everyone in the world is against me. They hate me. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever said anything like that? Mom, Dad, you just don't want me to be happy. That's the bottom line. You don't want me to be happy. Oh, I hate you. I hate you. For the love. What must I do to get a break? Nothing ever goes my way. Nothing. All of us. All of us know what those feelings are like from personal experience. Some of you have felt that way this week, right? Feeling like every move you make, you get criticized by somebody. Nothing is ever good enough. You feel it, you feel and you think your family and your friends are always trying to hold you back. But the reality is that everyone is not against you. Everyone is not against you, and yet everyone is not for you either. Everyone is not against you, and yet everyone is not for you either. What does that mean? What do you mean by that, Alex? There's balance in life. Balance. And many times, our one-sidedness, you know, my way or the highway attitude, blinds us from that fact. Because if you believe everyone is against you, then you will have a negative attitude about life. You won't trust anybody. If you think everyone is for you, then you'd be a very, a very gullible person, easy to take advantage of. Balance. This is the same balance that Nehemiah needs now as he gets ready to begin this new work. We saw last week that he finally spoke to the people, right? He finally got them excited. He finally empowered them to participate in the work. He told them how the Lord has been acting on their behalf. So the people rose up. They got excited. They were happy. But let me ask you, is everyone happy? You think everyone in Jerusalem is happy about this? You think everyone in Jerusalem is going to be on Nehemiah's side? No, for he will face conflict. He's going to have people intentionally working against him for evil. He's going to get criticized. He's going to get put down. He's going to have opposition that stands in the way of what the Lord has called him to do. And this week, we're going to see Nehemiah size up the conflict. He's going to size up the opposition. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Nehemiah 2, beginning with verse 10.
But when Sabalit the, the Haranite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now jump down to verse 19. But when Sambalat the Haranite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Gisham the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants would arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Let us pray. Father, this is your word. And it's not just stories. It's not just fairy tale stories that we read our kids before bed. It's not a once upon a time type story. This is history. And what Nehemiah and the people went through is real. It's real. And it's true. And it happened. And so I pray, Father, that you would be able to encourage your people from what happened in this time. That we can apply it to our life in our time. I know you can look at rebuilding walls and think, what in the world does that have to do with my life? It has something to do with our life. Because all of us need restoration in some area of our life. All of us have been broken at some point in our life. We're not all together. And shame of us if we pretend that we are. We all need to be restored. So wherever we are this morning, wherever we are broken this morning, wherever we need restoration this morning, I pray that your spirit would take your word and apply it there in that area of our life. Apply it to my life, Father. I know I need it. I know I need a word from you. And as I always pray, it's not about me. It's not about who I am, but it's about my God and King. And I ask you to forgive me for the ways in which I try to steal your glory Forgive me for the ways I invent ways to steal your glory. But Lord, not today. Not today, Spirit. Let it be about Jesus. Let it be about him. And let us see him as he truly is. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, Nehemiah. He begins to size up his opposition. Sizing up the conflict. He determines... First, that these three men are not his friends. They're not for him. They're against him. And they have issues with him. And we see that clearly in verse 10, that Sambalat the Hermonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard of this. And it displeased them greatly that someone have come to seek the good of the people of Israel. They didn't like it. When Waikita and I were dating, we used to have these defining the relationship talks consistently. It's like every week. <laughs> so, and one night, we got into one of those conversations in my blue Ford Ranger in the parking lot of a Barnes & Noble in Greenville, South Carolina. We had one of those talks, and it did not go well. I said some things. She said some things. I was getting upset, but she wasn't. She was just sitting there all cool and calm, and that upset me even more that she wasn't upset too. And then she said something. I can't remember what she said, but when she said it, I kicked her out of my truck. I said, get out. Just get out. 
Now, that was not my final moment in our courtship, but that happened. At that moment, we were having relational conflict, and I did not respond very well to it. See, Waikita is not and was not my enemy, but that night I treated her like she was and I kicked her out of my truck. And what I've learned, and I still am learning, is there is a big difference between the conflicts I have with my wife, who I know without a shadow of a doubt is for me, than the conflicts I have with people who I know is against me. There is a difference. And how I respond to those things should be different. The relationship is different. Can you distinguish between the conflicts you have with people who are for you and the conflicts you have with people who are against you? How you respond to those should be different because the intent is different. People who are for you, at times when they oppose you, they oppose you for your good. And those who are against you, they just don't like you. They're going to oppose everything you do to try to hold you back. They're going to do it for your harm. Everyone is not against you, and yet everyone is not for you either. You've got to learn how to size up the conflicts in your life. Learn how to size up the people who stand in opposition to you to see if they are for you or against you. Can you do that? And it takes great discernment to do that. It takes great wisdom to do that. But this is what Nehemiah did in verse 10. Sambalat and Tobiah were his foes. They were not his friends. See, he encountered these men as he was going to this meeting, meeting with the governors beyond the province of the, beyond the, the province beyond the river. Remember, he got these letters from the king to give to these governors so they let him pass. And at this meeting, he met Tobiah and Samballot. And at this meeting, he sized them up. And he saw at this meeting that these men were not going to be my friends. They were not going to be for me. They were not going to help me. They were going to be against me. He realized they were going to be against him for, for, not, for his demise and not for his benefit. But you know what is his benefit? That he can put a face and a name to his foes. That's a benefit, right? It's awful to get shot and not know where the shot is coming from. It's awful not to know who is against you. Right? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been in a relationship with someone who's with you like this? Then when you're not around, they're doing this. That's an awful feeling not to know who you can trust and can't trust. At least for Nehemiah, he knows his enemy is not faceless. He knows where the shots are going to come from. Do we? And he not only knows their face, he also knows the issue. He also knows why they don't like him, why they're not going to be with him, why they're going to be against him. What's the issue? It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. That's their issue. Personally, it wasn't against Nehemiah, but eventually it does get personal. They didn't like the reason why he was there. They didn't like the reason why he came to Jerusalem. They were upset about that. And notice, they're upset. They don't even know the true reason why he's there yet. They just know he's there to help them. And so Nehemiah knows that once they find out that he's there to rebuild the wall, that they are not, they're going to be even madder. They're going to be even more against him. 
and we're going to try to stop him from doing it. They were going to be, they are a threat to the call and mission he received from the Lord. That's the underlying issue. Do you know the underlying issue and the conflicts you have right now? Every conflict has an issue. Every conflict you have with a coworker, you have with your spouse, you have with people who don't like you, there's an issue that's causing that conflict. Do you know what it is? Two weeks ago, me and a friend had a conflict right here in this church. I was having a conversation with someone about a book I was reading. And my friend, he overheard some things I was saying about, our, about the church and the things we were going to do, things I wanted to stop doing, how I want to do things differently. And so later he pulled me, to the, pulled me to the side and we started talking. And he came at me pretty hard. Came at me real hard because he thought I was saying we just need to stop doing ministry in the community. But I wasn't saying that at all. He just misunderstood what we were saying. But we cleared all that up. We, we got the communication straight. But the issue that, that created the conflict was that when he came at me hard, it hurt me. But I didn't tell him that during the conversation. I sat on it. It wasn't until later that day where I called him on the phone and we started talking. I said, yeah, you came at me pretty hard and it hurt. And he apologized and we met later and we reconciled. But there is conflict even in close relationships. But how are you going to deal with it? I know this person loves me and I love him. And we still had a conflict. Now, if I would have said on that, that would have affected our relationship. It would have. And the enemy would have used it. And so I loved him enough to talk about it. And as I said this morning in the members class, if you love one another enough, you will deal with the conflicts that come up. Because they're going to come, people. You're going to have marriage conflict. You're going to have conflict with your kids. That's just life. But how are you going to respond to them is the question. How are you going to respond to them? How are you? How are you doing with that? Now, the good news is that conflicts can get resolved. They can. But what about the ones that don't? What about those unresolved conflicts that you have now? What about the ones you have with family members? What about the unresolved conflicts with, with a friend who used to be your friend and no longer your friend anymore because of the conflict? Who in your life has stopped speaking to you because of conflict? Who have you stopped speaking to? Who is trying to sabotage you because of conflict? Can you put a face on it? Can you put a name to the person? And more importantly, do you know what the issue is? Do you know what it is? See, like Nehemiah, he, he had conflict with these two men. It was going to be unresolved conflict. And they were never going to settle it. They were never going to resolve that conflict. They were going to be, they're going to be against him until he leaves Jerusalem. Not, they don't want to resolve it. They don't want him to do the work. And so they're going to be at his throat because of it. Because they're his opposition. They're his foes. And guess what? They just didn't sit on it. They had a strategy as well. They had tactics that they were going to use to try to get Nehemiah to quit the job. The enemy sometimes doesn't sit still. He intentionally works against you. And this is what these men did with Nehemiah. They were beginning to work against him. Verse 
19. But when Samballat, the Hermonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, and Gisham, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Last week, again, we saw Nehemiah reveal his true reason for coming to Jerusalem. He tells the people the mission to restore the wall. He empowers them. And now in verse 19, the news has finally reached the opposition. Don't know how they found out, but they did. I guess they have good intel. They have sources as well. And not only that, they have got one more person on their coalition now. It ain't just Tobiah and some ballot. They done got Gisham. Someone else on their side. When people work against you, they sometimes build a camp against you as well. Try to get other people on their side of the issue, on their side of the conflict. Try to turn others against you. And before long, there's a camp. You don't think this happened in churches? You don't think people build camps against the pastor in the churches? I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen in jobs. I've seen it happen in families, particularly when it's time to talk about the will. People get in their camps. They start fighting. How much stuff is mine? What am I going to get? And then they break relationship because of that. How are you going to deal with those things? How? How? A second, a second thing they did is that they used, they scorned them. They talked bad about them. They jeered at them. They despised them. They derailed them. They belittled them. And here's the thing. That's like a schoolyard tactic, right? You would expect that of kids to poke fun at one another. But guess what? Adults do it too. Don't we? We belittle one another. And the purpose of that, the intent of that, is that they wanted to kill the morale of the Jewish people. They wanted to discourage them from walking, from starting to work, even before they began it. They wanted them to crumble and feel like they couldn't do it. Just let me give up. They're just against me. They're right. We can't do it. Let's just just give up right now. When a person is belittled, made fun of, laughed at, what does that do to a person? If you've ever been subject to that, what does that do to you? It hurts. Thank you. It kills a part of you. Devalues you. I'm from a town called Swainsboro, Georgia. It's my hometown. Um, on one trip there uh, to visit my family, I got into this conversation with my uncle. That's my, no, my dad's brother. And Waikita well, remember this story. He, this is what he said to me. He said, Alex, you know what? You really surprised me because I never thought you were going to do anything with your life. <laughs> never. It was like, well, thanks, uncle. I don't know if that should be a compliment or what. But that's what he said to me. I never thought you were going to do anything with your life. And I was 32 when he told me that. But it still could to think that that's how my uncle saw me when I was a kid. I was never going to do anything with my life. Words hurt. When we sometimes use them like an ice pick and we chip away at a person's self-image. Bam, 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 
Bam. You're nothing. You're a loser. You're sorry. You can't do it. You're just like your sorry dad. Bam. 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 You just chip away at it until they start believing it. You're right. I'm a nobody. And I can't do it. I just crumble and give up. And many of us, if we are constantly attacked that way, we will crumble and give up. But we just can't take it. We just can't take it. It hurts too much. Are you crumbling? Are you under such abuse now? People who work against you for evil, they will do that to you. I've experienced that. I'm pretty sure you have too. I mean, they seek to derail us, and sometimes their words do have an effect. What's the third thing that they did? Fear tactic. They try to create fear in the camp. The question they ask, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? The intent of that question is to create fear. It's to create fear in the camp. Well, are we rebelling against the king by doing this? No, they're not. They had the authority of the king to be there to do what they're going to do, and yet the enemy still tries to create fear in the camp with the people. Fear is powerful. You know why it's powerful? Because it can paralyze you from doing anything. I'm just too afraid. I'm just too afraid. It can prevent you from doing anything. Many of you know, a lot of you know my biggest fear is fear of man. We all struggle with that. I got in this conversation with uh, a pastor friend of mine a few weeks ago, and, and we were talking about philosophy of ministries, about, about the type of work that we're doing. And he was telling me his, and you know what? I was so afraid of his opinion of me that I did not man up and stand my principles about what I believe God has called me to do. Because I didn't want him not to like me. And so I caved. But the Spirit didn't let me get away with that. I had our eventually sent him an email and asked his forgiveness and said, you know what? You and I disagree on this issue. And I didn't man up and say it. Please forgive me for not being honest. And he did. And we, rec- we talked about it. And it was good. Because I knew I was never going to be able to benefit from meeting with this guy if I always was afraid of whether he liked me or not. I had to come clean. And I did, and it helped the relationship. So we all have our fears. It's not just me. We all have them. How you would deal with them? How do you respond to them? When people use fear against you, how do you respond? Do you get afraid and won't run? Or do you deal with it in a healthy way? See, as a church, we're going to have our Tobias and Sambalics that come against us as a church and, and what God's called us to do. You're going to have those in your life as well. It's unavoidable. Everyone is not going to like you. Everyone in this church is not going to like me. I got to accept that. That's just life. That's just life. But keep in mind, everyone is not against you. Sometimes people who oppose you oppose you for good. King David, man after God's own heart, sinned, had an affair, had a man murdered. Right? You remember the story about King David? So he sinned against God. And the Lord sent who to David? Who did he send? Nathan. Was Nathan going to be in opposition with David at this moment? Was he going there to be in opposition with him? Yes, he was. But was he going there to hurt him? Was he going there to work against him? He was going there for him. And yet he was going to oppose to what he has done. Sometimes people in your life are going to be against you for good. Because of something you did to bring you to repentance. 
That's what Nathan did for David. King David, when you did this, you sinned. And what did David do? He, he, it broke him. And he repented to God. So everyone who opposes you is not against you. Sometimes we need to be opposed for our own good. Again, there's balance. There's always balance. But what about, again, Sambalad and Tobiah in your life? How do you respond to them? I think we need to do what Nehemiah did in verse 20. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will rise up and build. You have no portion, right, or claim in Jerusalem. So we saw him size up the opposition. We saw him identify who they were. We saw him identify the underlying issue. He listened to their tactics and how they approached him. But what does he do with the information? What does he do with it? Does he roll up in the corner and just give up and hide? Does he just, does it mess up his whole day? I have a tendency, people can say stuff to me that just mess up my whole day. That's probably what I would have did. They would have just messed up my whole day. I would have went somewhere and just sat down like, I can't believe they don't like me. But not for Nehemiah. It didn't mess up his whole day. It didn't because they didn't like him. No. What he did, he took what they did to him and he filtered it through his faith. Through his faith, which was his firm foundation. And everything else is what? Sinking sand. You got to understand that about the book of Nehemiah. His faith is always at work. Even though he might not mention the word faith, but that's what he's standing on. His relationship with his God. And his faith here, that's what allowed him to stand up and be bold to these guys who don't like him, who are against him. And his faith is not a foxhole faith, which I talked about in the members' class as well. It's not a temporary faith that you only call on God in times of trouble. I'm in trouble, now I need Jesus. And when trouble is gone, I don't need Jesus no more. That's not, tr- that's not saving faith. That ain't faith at all. Saving faith in Christ, saving faith in the Father, is you resting and depending upon him for salvation. Not you tapping in, tapping out when life gets hard. True faith is resting and depending upon Christ. That's what Nehemiah has here, a true faith. It's not a foxhole faith. He's faith, he trusted, he depended upon the Lord. He had a relationship with God. And so being grounded in that and being assured of that, he tells the opposition, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his people, will rise up and build. A foxhole faith person won't say that. Someone who's in and out can't say that. You gotta have a sure confidence in the Lord's work to say that in the midst of conflict, in the midst of people you know don't like you, in the midst of people you know who are gonna work against you. You gotta have a sure assurance that your father is sovereign in your life. And if he's called you to something, he's gonna work it in spite of who's against you. This is what Nehemiah believed. That's what he stood firm on. And no, he had the king's approval to be there, but he didn't tap in. He didn't use that card. He used his God card. It's bigger than you, Sambalat, Tobiah. It's bigger than the king. This is my God's work. And he has called us to this. The God of heaven. What does that mean? It means God is in control over his creation. He's in control. He's the boss. And no man, no government, no organization 
would frustrate his plans. Because if they did, then he wouldn't be much of a God. His will will get done. You've got to have confidence in that. Don't look at what you see. We are called to live by faith, not by the things we see. If you live by the things you see, then you will crumble, fall, and give up. Every time conflict comes. Living by faith. Living by more than what you see is what God has called us to do. And if you live by faith, you can say, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his people, we stand up and rise and build and fight. What's the next thing he says to them? He says, finally, he puts the opposition in their place. He puts them in their place. What did he tell them? You have no portion, no right, or no claim in Jerusalem. What he's telling them? This is none of your business, basically. This is none of your business. You're not a Jew. You have no legal claim over us. You have no claim over our worship. And Nehemiah drew a line in the sand here. You're here, I'm there. And so you have no right. You don't dictate what we do. Our God dictates what we do. He and the other Jews are servants of Yahweh. Tobiah, Sambalat, Gishon were not. They were outside opposition, trying to oppose what the Lord was trying to do. And you know what? Nehemiah is telling them, I don't negotiate with terrorists. That's what he's telling them. I do not negotiate with terrorists. That's what he's telling them. And my God will make us prosper despite the many efforts you're going to put forth to try to hinder the work. My God will prevail. Psalm 56, 9 says, This I know, that God is for me. This I know, that God is for me. That's the confidence that Nehemiah had. Well, what about you? Is that, can you say that? And mean it. Not just to say it here on Sunday, so, so that's to show face. But do you mean it? This I know, that my God is for me, in spite of me, in spite of what I do. You won't believe that and can't believe that if you don't have a saving faith in Jesus. That doesn't even make sense to you if you don't have a saving faith in Jesus. If you're not growing in your faith, then you're always going to doubt whether or not God is for you. You're going to be like this constantly. He's for me when life is good, and when life is bad, he's punishing me. That, that's not God. That's not what he does. He's for you in the spite of your circumstances. He is. Everyone is not against you, yet everyone is not for you either. Jesus does not bounce back and forth to being against you and for you. He's for you even when you fall. And sometimes that's how we think about Jesus. We do. When circumstances are good and Jesus loves me now, then when life gets hard, man, I must have messed up somewhere. Is that your view of God? Is that your view of Christ? It shouldn't be because he's not that way. Now, he convicts us, but he convicts us to repentance, not to condemnation. There's a difference. He convicts us to repentance. Jesus is your greatest ally. He's your greatest ally. And when you sin, he convicts you up so you can repent. He doesn't derail you, 
doesn't belittle you, doesn't create camps against you. He's for you. Do you believe it? Do you know him? Have you came to that place where you have given your life to him in saving faith? Are you growing in him? I was driving around um, town this week, and I love reading church signs, you know, and they have funny sayings sometimes. I think they're funny. And one sign I saw this week was, was really good, and it was, real, it was kind of scary too, but he said, the sign says, love your enemies, for you made them. You agree with that? Love your enemies, for you made them. Is that true? Love your enemies, for you made them. Is that a true statement? Why? (laughs) Yeah, he did. I thought about that question. I thought about that statement. And I realized it's a half-truth. It's a half-truth. We are called to love our enemies. But all of our enemies we did not make. Because people going, some people just are not going to like you. That's the truth. I don't care what you do. That's the reality. There are going to be some people that's not going to like you no matter what you do. You're going to get criticized by people no matter what you do. You're not going to ever be able to do anything right for them because why? They just don't like you. And you have to accept that. I'm not saying, they, I mean, you just got to accept that. That's the reality. We have to accept the fact that there may be some people in our lives and we have conflict with that we might not ever be able to resolve it. You might not be able to resolve it. Others, you will be able to reconcile. Others, you will be able to deal with. But for some, you may not. People will work against you for evil. People will try to create a camp against you. People will derail you in your face and behind your back. You will have Sam Ballots and Tobias in your life. And how are you going to deal with them when they come? When it's a coworker, when it's a family member, when it's a f- person you thought was your friend, and turns out that person was not your friend. How are you going to deal with it? You've got to be standing on your faith to deal with that. Because it does hurt when it happens. Because nothing's worse than being hurt by a family member, a coworker, church family, so-called friends. If you encounter these people and you tell them, you tell them the truth. My, Jesus will make me prosper. I'm his child and I'll rise up and be faithful to what my God has called me to do. You tell them that. You remind yourself of that. And you also tell that person you have no right, no claim, no portion in my life. We give people more power of our life than they need to have. Because we give them a right. We give them a portion. We give them a claim. But they're not your God. Jesus is your God. That's the bottom line. He is God. Your enemies are not. The people who are against you are not. So know this. Your God is for you. In spite of you. In spite of your enemies. In spite of your failures. And that's the gospel truth. He's for you.
Let us pray. Father God, thank you that that's something that I have to constantly remind myself of, Father, that you are for me and not against me. And even when you convict me, you convict me to repentance. And I thank you, Father, that, that I don't have to let others have so much power in my life that they just control me. They can ruin my day. That's not healthy. I praise you, Lord, that, that you are not like man. You're not my friend one moment and my enemy the next. You're always my friend. Always a friend of God because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, because of his good work. And my standing and our standing before you is a firm standing because of him. And Lord, I pray for all of us, Father. None of us like to have conflict. I don't like it. I don't like confrontation. I don't like to think that people don't like me, but that's the reality. That's the reality. But how, do we, how will we respond to it, Father, is always the question. Help us to respond healthy. Help us to have a healthy response to conflicts in our life. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Give us boldness, Father. Because we need boldness to deal with those things. And so I thank you, Father, for all this. In Christ's name, amen.